All right. Good morning. Happy Easter. Great to be here with you guys. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, there have been situations in my life where I have been overwhelmed with doubts or anxieties and fears in a way that when I look back, I think if I would have just examined the facts, I wouldn't have gotten myself to that place. And so I'm going to tell you a story that I've held off on telling for a few years because I've just gotten up the courage to tell it because it's that embarrassing. And uh, so I'm trusting all of you with this information, (laughs) all right? So a few years ago, I got a mysterious package in the mail. And immediately when I saw this package, I thought to myself, it looks like a bomb. And I thought then, but it's not. Come on. There's no way that that's what it is. And so I kind of set it on the kitchen table, left it there for a little while, and my wife, Melissa, walked in the room, and she said, what is that? It looks like a bomb. (laughs) I immediately thought, that's what I was thinking. And not knowing what it was, even though it was addressed to me, we moved it to the back porch and proceeded to call the police. This is a true story. (laughs) And the police came to our house, and we said, hey, it looks like a bomb. We don't know what's going on. I I actually did, did a little bit of research and tried to see where the address was that had sent it, and the address no longer existed, so this sort of corroborated our narrative, and we were like, this is a bomb. So the police come to our house, and the guy's like, why do you think, you know, why do you think it's a bomb? And he starts looking at it and all that. And so these two young police officers open it up only to discover that inside of this package is a trilogy of three books that I had ordered off of (laughs) Amazon.com. And so in that moment, what I realized is that had I just examined the facts, in other words, gone to my Amazon account, looked, which would have been much more of a reasonable route to take, I would have saved myself a lot of embarrassment, a lot of anxiety, a lot of doubt, and a lot of fear. And my proposal for you this morning is that if you will put aside your fears, your doubts, and your anxieties about the resurrection of Jesus, and you will zoom in with me and examine the facts, that this reality can change your entire life. And so the claim that we're going to be examining together is the simple claim of Easter, that Jesus rose from death. And we're going to be looking at the words of Scripture, and we're going to be seeing that there's basically three primary arguments or pieces of evidence that point us in this direction. The first one is his body. That's the body of Jesus. So we're in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we're going to start here with verse 36. It says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened 
and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. So the basic argument against the bodily resurrection of Jesus is called the hallucination hypothesis. And the narrative goes like this. It's that the disciples or the close friends and followers of Jesus so wanted Jesus to rise from death that they hallucinated that it had happened together. They so wanted it that they thought that they saw something that was not real. This narrative is written to convince us that that hypothesis is not true. Luke was a historian. He interviewed the witnesses and he put together this account. And it really reads in a very scientific matter. If you look at the text, you don't have disciples that are making something up and wanting something to happen. They are as you would expect them to be. They were frightened. They were troubled. Doubts were arising in their hearts. And this was after Jesus had walked in the room. So the scene is that they're sitting there and they're talking about this rumor that Jesus has risen from death. Jesus walks in the room and their response is not immediately to believe that it happened. It's to be scared. And so in the midst of that, Jesus first says, peace to you. And then he asks them this question, which seems kind of redundant. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Like, because you were dead. And then he basically walks them through very slowly the evidence. He says, see my hands and my feet. Saying, look at my hands and my feet. Why specifically his hands and his feet? Because the nails were driven through his hands and his feet. So in essence, what he's saying is these are real hands and these are real feet. You're not seeing a subhuman spirit. You're seeing a real person. And yes, it is me who you are seeing. And the evidence is the scars on my hands and on my feet. So he's asking them to look at the evidence. And look what happens. It doesn't say, and they were immediately like, yes, it's you, Jesus, we believe. It says they still disbelieved. In other words, we're not talking about a bunch of gullible, 
backwoods guys who are going to believe anything, we're talking about skeptics, doubters. They did not expect him to rise from death, but were surprised and thought that their eyes were tricking them. So they disbelieved, but at the same time, there's joy and they're marveling. And so to seal the deal, what Jesus does is he says, give me something to eat. And they give him what's close at hand, a piece of broiled fish. And Jesus takes the piece of broiled fish and in front of his friends, he eats it. And he asks the question, can a spirit eat fish? What he's proving is that his body was a real physical body that had died and now has been risen from death. Now this debunks the whole idea that Christianity is essentially a leap in the dark, a blind faith, that it's sort of sub-rational, that what you're supposed to do as a Christian is you're supposed to put aside all of the facts and you're supposed to just jump into this sort of ethereal world of faith. That is not what Jesus is saying. What he's actually calling for is what I would call super rationality. He's saying, look at my body. Look at my hands and my feet. Remember that I died. See that I have risen from death. And even though you didn't observe my actual rising... Make the correct conclusion based on the facts, which is that I did, in fact, rise from death. Now, G.K. Chesterton, a famous British professor, pointed this reality out to me, that this is how we believe almost everything in our lives. Okay, think about something really simple like how a seed produces a plant or a tree. Okay, many of us have planted a seed in the ground, and we know that that seed underneath the ground dies, and then as a result of that death, produces a tree or a tomato plant or a shrub. But we don't see the miracle happen. We don't observe the death and the resurrection, but we know that the resurrection and death have happened as a result of what happens above the ground. So we believe the miracle based on the facts. And Jesus is asking us to believe the miracle based on the facts. Look at the evidence. His body. His skeptical disciples touched him, gave him fish, he ate. Okay, so first piece of evidence is his body. The second piece of evidence is a little bit surprising, and it's the Bible. Here's why I'd say it's surprising, is because Jesus is standing in front of his disciples, risen from the dead, and right after he eats the fish, he says, hey guys, Let's look at the Bible to prove 
that what you're seeing has actually happened. And specifically, he wants them to look at the internal consistency of the Bible. Look at verses 44 through 47. It says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Okay, so Christians in our society, I think, are rightly consider, uh, criticized for bringing the Bible into conversations in a way that doesn't deepen the conversation, but will shut the conversation down. In other words, we just bring a Bible verse into the conversation and say, thus saith the Lord, not in order to help other people, but in order to be right. What Jesus is doing here is not just bringing Bible verses in to shut the conversation down, but in order to help his disciples understand what has happened. And what he does is remarkable. He opens up the Bible and he walks through to show them that the Bible's primary teaching, and, and what we're talking about when we're talking about the Bible here is the Old Testament. The New Testament had not been written yet. What the Old Testament is primarily about is not a list of rules or a bunch of stories about heroes who were super godly people who we should emulate, although the Bible does have rules and stories about people we should emulate. But what Jesus says is that the Bible's message is about his death and his resurrection. That the Psalms and the prophets and the law are about him. Okay, this is a bold and a big claim because there's essentially still three camps in terms of religions in the world today. You have Jews, you have Muslims, and you have Christians. As Christians, we believe that what the Old Testament prophesied was that Jesus would both die and rise from death. What Jews believe is that Jesus died but did not rise. And what Muslims believe is that Jesus neither died nor rose. And so the question is, what does the Old Testament teach? Okay, I don't have time to go into an in-depth and extensive Bible study with you like Jesus did with his disciples. But let me bring one passage of scripture to your attention that I think will be enlightening. So this is from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 9 through 10. Now I would encourage you to go back and read the chapter in, your enti in its entirety, but for our purpose, I just want to read these two verses. 
This is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. It says this, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Though he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So Isaiah is saying, when the Messiah comes, he will die for his people. He will make an offering for their guilt. But after making an offering for their guilt, as a result of the fact that it was the will of the Lord. In other words, this was a planned event by God. Yes, people were guilty. Yes, people were involved in the events. But ultimately, what we say about the cross and resurrection is that it was the plan of God. As a result of it being the plan of God, the Messiah will not stay dead. That's how I interpret verse 10 when it says that he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. In other words, death won't kill the Messiah. And so what we believe is that the Old Testament teaches that the Messiah will both die and rise. So the problem with both Judaism and Islam is that it does not pass the test of being internally consistent. In other words, Jews and Muslims both say they believe Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 teaches something different than what they say they believe. I remember this reality hit home for me when I was in elementary school. My dad had a colleague at work by the name of Evan Janovitz, and Evan Janovitz was Jewish. And my dad and Evan would go back and forth debating the Old Testament. And my dad, in one of these conversations, gave Evan his old NIV study Bible. I still remember what it looked like. It was like two tones of brown on the cover. He gave his NIV study Bible to Evan Janovitz. Evan was one of the smartest people that my dad had ever met. He got a perfect SAT score. He gave him the Bible and he encouraged him to read Hebrews and Romans in the New Testament and see if that lined up with what the Old Testament taught. And so Evan took the Bible. My dad didn't hear from him for a while. And a couple months later, he brought the Bible back. And he put it down on my dad's desk. And he said, I read it. He said, oh, you read Hebrews and Romans. He goes, no, I read the whole thing. (laughs) And he said, I read the whole thing, and it's all true. The Old Testament teaches the same thing as the New Testament. How does that happen? There's two things that have to happen so that you can see that reality in the Bible that Jesus brings out in this passage. One is you have to do the Bible study. You have to look at the text. I'm begging you, 
Examine the evidence. This gal was cutting my hair the other day, and she said, I can't believe the Bible because of all the contradictions in it. And I said, oh, which ones? And she didn't say anything. Do you know, there are so many people who say the Bible is full of contradictions, but when you ask them, have you read the whole thing? They haven't read the whole thing. That is just being a bad student. It's being dishonest. Before you reject what the Bible says, you have to know what the Bible says. Read the whole thing. Is it internally consistent and the even greater question is, who does the Bible point us to? Old Testament and New Testament, it points us to Jesus. Okay, so two pieces of evidence, the body of Jesus and the Bible. The third piece of evidence is the church. Verses 48 and 49, Jesus said, you are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So this is amazing. Jesus looks at these doubting, fearful, skeptical disciples who had all deserted him when he went to the cross because they were so scared of identifying with him and suffering the same fate that he did. He looks at these guys and he says, here's the plan, guys. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This message is going to spread through you, but it won't spread by your power. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. And so... This is part one of the story. This historical narrative was written, written by Luke, and the fulfillment of this part is found in part two, which is in the book of Acts. And what happens is these fearful, doubting disciples are crowded in an upper room together, and they are clothed with power from on high through the Holy Spirit. And the first sermon is preached by the most bold and the most scared disciple of all, a guy named Peter, and he goes out and he preaches the gospel, and in one sitting, 3,000 people are saved and baptized. What a celebration. How amazing. But also, how amazing that what Jesus said would come true did come true and continues to come true. Because Jesus said that they would be witnesses, but also that the message of the gospel would be preached to all nations, which means that one of the primary evidences that Jesus is alive is this. 2.5 billion people are celebrating Easter all over the world today. The church is not a Western thing. There are more Asian Christians in the world than there are white 
Christians in the world. There are more Latin American Christians in the world than there are white Christians in the world. There are more African Christians in the world than there are white Christians in the world. Every other religion is essentially an ethnic group. It runs on ethnic lines. Christianity is a global religion. All nations have witnessed the resurrection of Jesus through the words of his faithful followers down to our very day as we stick to this text. So in other words, one of the ways that you know that Jesus has risen from the dead is by its effects. Isn't this how we do history? For example, has anyone ever visited Gettysburg, Pennsylvania? Okay, you can go to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and one of the remarkable things about Gettysburg, Pennsylvania is you can stand where Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address, one of the most famous speeches in American history. You can stand in that spot. So in other words, you can go to the place where he spoke and you can test the reality that the Battle of Gettysburg happened. Another remarkable thing is, if you take a shovel and you go to the field where the Battle of Gettysburg is shot, or it was uh, taken place, you can dig a hole, still to this day, and you can find bullets that collided in midair. Farmers are still finding them to this day. Why? Because one of the ways that you test history is by its effects. You can go to the place. You can read the speech. You can understand the Emancipation Proclamation in reference to the battle at Gettysburg. And so the way that we do history is you test it by its effects. How do you explain the church if Jesus did not rise from death? Would his disciples have died for a lie? For a hallucination? By the way, hallucinations don't happen in groups. A hallucination can happen individually, but it can't happen in a group. Okay, so what am I asking of you? Okay, we've looked at the evidence. Now, what's the application? Now, there's this um, Oxford mathematician. He's also a Christian apologist by the name of John Lennox. And he said, if you want to know why something happened, you need to ask the person who created it. And so, for example, he gives the example of Imagine that there's a woman named Aunt Matilda and she bakes a cake. For you to know that that cake was baked for her grandson's birthday, you would have to ask her. You could see the cake. You could believe that the cake was there, but there's no way you could know why unless you asked her. We can see that the resurrection has happened, but in order to know why, we also have to ask Jesus. And this is what he said. We kind of glossed over this verse. In verse 
47. He says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So why did Jesus suffer and die and rise from the dead in order to give you the opportunity to repent. Repent means to change your mind about the central purpose of your life. See, you are not your own. You were created by God. You were not created by God for your own pleasure or for your own enjoyment. You were created by God to glorify and enjoy him forever. And here's the amazing thing about Christianity. Because of the fact of the resurrection, because Jesus died for your sins and rose again, the opportunity for repentance is today. The risen Christ is here And through me, his servant is begging you to turn. To turn from your life of wickedness and rebellion. See, it's not about the facts for you. It's not about the facts. It's never been about the facts. You haven't investigated the facts because you know that if you investigate the facts, that you will have to bow your life to King Jesus. That's the offense. And he wants you to admit it. Not to prove that you're wrong, but so that you can experience his grace, his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness, and find the very purpose of your life. What will you do with the risen Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you don't thump us with the truth, but that you came back, risen from the dead, to scared, doubting, anxious people like us. You looked them and you look us in the face this morning. And you say, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Don't disbelieve, but believe. God, I pray for that person who came reluctantly this morning. Who doesn't believe. Would you meet them? Would you open their eyes so that they can see. Pray this all in Jesus' name, for his glory in the nations. Amen.